This is Movies on TV Podcast Industries with our spoiler-filled discussion of Spider-Man Far From Home. What's up fellow webheads and true believers, this is Movies on TV Podcast Industries with our spoiler-filled discussions of Spider-Man Far From Home and all of the arachnid-type movies that condense into this beautiful, beautiful film. I am one of your hosts, Chris, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts. Gentlemen, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello there, fellow defenders. I'm one of your other hosts, John. And I am the final host, Derek. Yes, not only are we reviewing Spider-Man Far From Home, but this is the culmination of two of our series that we're doing. The Summer of Spider-Man that we started about two and a half years ago with uh, our yep. Tobey Maguire movies. Summers of Spider-Man. Yeah, there are multiple summers, yes. And, of course, our Seasons of S.H.I.E.L.D. because Nick Fury has been featured in multiple Marvel movies this year. Three different movies this year. I will let you in the little secret, fellow defenders. The reason that we did start doing the season of Shield is because I was trying to convince the guys to uh, cover season five of Agents of Shield, but they didn't pick up on the hint at all. It's about five or six episodes into the season, and we still haven't recorded a review of any of the show. <laughs> Whatever. I was trying. I was trying really hard. You, you need to be. We're not. We're not the smartest tools. <laughs> exactly. To tool shed here. You need to be a bit more. Uh, hey, I want to do this. Like, well, right, yeah. I did not um, even pick up on that. Exactly, <laughs> and we'd been saying, should we not be doing it anyway? And you'd mm-hmm. been like, ooh, I don't know if I want to. Oh, you never said, I don't know if I want to. But for our fellow defenders, if you have not been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this season, one thing I want to just say, really cool about this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., lots of Mar- Captain Marvel references in there. Lots of things have been taken from Captain Marvel and the Kree, and uh, some of the things that were in the movie have been used in the TV styling on tv so not exactly the same it takes you a little bit of a second to go oh this is just that but just on a slightly lower budget than the couple of hundred million that was spent on captain marvel so check that out if you haven't seen it there's some cool stuff in there okay i need you to talk to me more offline because mm-hmm. i'm like what huh? <laughs> i know yeah, yeah. I, go I don't it. get that but gentlemen let's jump onto it but before we get into it i just also want to give uh, anyone who's joining us for the first time and wants to know how we do it just a quick rundown of how we review our mcu films and any films in particular first of all we'll jump into some production details like who directed it who wrote it discuss some of the areas there obviously we'll also jump into a quick short synopsis of what they gave us and then we get into our top five points or in this case our top five european destinations Mm. because sure when you're far from home what better way to celebrate this film than with destinations exactly we are the defenders travel agents bringing (laughs) you cruises flights returned flights and of course the very best in luxury accommodation excellent Yes, so just as a warning, obviously we're going full spoilers from here on out, Mm -hmm. so if you have not watched Spider-Man Far From Home, pause this episode, go watch it, and then jump back in with us. Derek, do you want to tell us some of the production details, like who directed this 
beautiful, beautiful film. Yeah, and, <laughs> and we want a full rundown of the cast as well. <laughs> I'm not giving you the rundown of the cast. We have it here in our notes, so we hopefully will keep referring to our cast in case we forget who's playing who. It's written in our notes, but I'm not going to go through everybody that's in the movie because there's so many people in this movie. I think we all enjoyed it, but uh, let's get into the details of it. Uh, this movie was directed by John Watts, who returns to direct this, his second big motion picture in the MCU, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, after directing Spider-Man Homecoming as well. Uh, he hadn't really done very much in the way of movies before doing Spider-Man for Homecoming. Uh, I was just watching the extra features on the Blu-ray for Homecoming this week, and he kind of says the reason why the movie has this style about it is because, well, both himself and Tom Holland were kind of new to these superhero franchises, so the two of them worked together and kind of said... Right, well, we don't really know what we're doing, so if both of us try it, then we'll come up with something cool, right? So kind of like that, that they're very collaborative in that way. No, I, I'm, I'm a fan of John Watts. He, he likes to pay homage to the 80s films. Mm-hmm. If we think of like The Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink and those types of films, iconic films. Yeah, yeah, that was very much the template that he used for, for Homecoming, the John Hughes movies, without a doubt. And this is kind of the, the Eurotrip movies. Yeah, uh, this is like the, the Griswolds. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I definitely had a European vacation uh conversation actually with john i think right at the end when they play a song by the go-go's an 80s band they play a vacation (laughs) song at the end and i was like is that from european vacation when the griswolds go around europe because it would make a lot of sense if it was but i don't think it was forgot to check that up actually john you were supposed to check that up on google it doesn't matter uh (laughs) think chevy chase going around europe Mm -hmm. except this is chevy chase in a spider outfit. <laughs> I think Tom Holland has a little bit of a better physique than Chevy Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. That's for granted. <laughs> anyway, this movie was written by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers again. Uh, they both had write- writing credits on Homecoming. They also had writing credits on Ant-Man and the Wasp, the last big comedy movie in the MCU. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Excellent. They really have their arachnid and insect writing skills down. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> so that was a comedy movie? Yeah. Okay, excellent. Grant. I'll have to remember that next time I watch it. I did like it, but I thought actually this yeah. was funnier. Yeah, it was funnier, definitely. Um, they have a much better job with uh, with Peter Parker than uh, than on Ant-Man and the Wasp, definitely. Yeah, but great to have them back in the MCU for the final film, I think, in the crossovers with, uh, with the MCU for Spider-Man. We don't really know what's happening next, um, but I think they need to hash out another deal if they, if they want to use Spidey in the MCU. I think they need to have another deal with Sony, because this is the fifth outing uh, for Tom Holland as Spider-Man now which yes. I think was his original contact was for five movies as Spider-Man uh, in, and two of them in the MCU I think but uh, we'd have to go and check those contracts <laughs> John do you want to tell us what they all gave us with your synopsis for the film? Sure Peter Parker still feels the loss of Tony Stark after the defeat of Thanos but he needs a break as everyone thinks Spider-Man should be the next Iron Man The perfect opportunity comes up while he's ghosting calls from Nick Fury, as Peter must prepare for his school science trip to Europe with his classmate Ned, his crush MJ, his nemesis Flash Thompson, and Brad Davis, the fourth grader who's all grown up. (laughs) Peter doesn't get to enjoy much of his Venetian trip, as an unknown elemental threat rises from the canals and attacks the city, but is defeated by a new superhero nicknamed Mysterio. Back at their hotel, Nick Fury finally catches up with Peter, who introduces him to Mysterio, a.k.a. Quentin Beck, who is from another universe and here to save Earth from the elementals of wind, water, earth and fire that had destroyed his own planet. Fury also gives Peter a pair of very special glasses from Tony Stark called Edith. They are the keys to Stark Industries. He challenges Peter to step up as Spider-Man and to take on new threats in a world that has changed forever. 
As their trip moves to Prague, Spider-Man and Mysterio must team up to take down the strongest elemental fire. After they have defeated it, Peter, who still feels uncomfortable trying to emulate Tony Stark, realises that Quentin Beck should be the new focus to superheroes on Earth, and hands over Edith to Quentin. But after a piece of unusual tech is found by MJ and given to Peter on the Charles Bridge in Prague, a spidey sense of deception forms in Peter's mind over Quentin as betrayal begins to play out from Berlin to London that culminates in the Battle of Tower Bridge with the mysterious Mysterio and his army of armed, armoured drones. Yes, but please remember, it's not Spidey Sense, it's Peter Tingle. <laughs> oh yes, exactly. Because we've all had our Peter Tingle before at that age. <laughs> I love it, I love it. John, I am so impressed with your tongue-twisting antics uh, in your synopsis for this episode. Why, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate that beautiful synopsis that is really just a fantastic summary. Mm-hmm. So let's jump into our top five destinations. But before we do that, let's just have a think. Uh, kind of where were we at the end of Endgame? How, where basically where do we find all of our heroes? Where do we find basically everything as it picks up for Far From Home? So let's jump into a bit of a post Endgame resolution. Yeah. I want to know what you thought about this, Chris, because we have some feedback, which we'll be talking about later on, and there has been a little bit of discussion amongst our fellow defenders as to whether this was a bit insensitive <laughs> about the big ending of Endgame. Um, this is the only part, really, that it's handled within the movie. We hear a couple of things within the movie, but effectively, we open up to the movie with I Will Always Love You from Whitney Houston and the wonderful teaming of Betty and Jason on their high school screen uh, saying farewell to all of the heroes that have died. <laughs> what did you think of the handling of the blip, as they call it in this movie? I, I, I loved it. Yeah, me like, too. Oh, come on. This this is a video created by a bunch of teenagers with mm-hmm. After Effects and like clip art. Like I was fully expecting Clippy just to come in into the corner and just kind of go, do you need help with this film? But I think it's fine. Like, the calling it of the blip, we've been calling it the snapping for years, mm. but only the heroes knew it was a snap. Like, everyone else just suddenly disappeared. So making it called the blip makes <laughs> sense. Kind of. I know that in, in Endgame itself, we do see the heroes after five years, and they, they're referring it to it as the snap in there, aren't they? And they, they have been... But the heroes. Yeah, but they've formed support groups, and we know Captain America is dealing with regular people in the streets, and news reports are calling it the snap. So it's just interesting that these kids are calling it the blip, because I think because they're, they've all returned, they call it the blip, whereas people yeah. who were in the world at the time call it the snap, don't they? Because yeah. for them, everything disappeared and everything changed for them, yet all of these kids that we knew from the first movie were snapped away and came back. So they call it a blip in their life, basically. So yeah. uh, so we hear a little bit from Aunt May as well. We hear that she's leading a char- charity, giving financial aid to people who've disappeared. And we hear that when she returned, somebody else was living in her flat and they thought that she was cheating on, the, on with their husband, basically. So like, who are you? You've just appeared in our apartment, you know? <laughs> so I like I like that kind of stuff. I like that there's a little bit of comedy in there about what happened to the people who returned. Yeah, and I, I love how it's used in this. It's used for comedic effect. Peter's teacher talks about how his wife pretended she had been uh, blipped and snapped away <laughs> and she ran off with the, his her personal trainer. Yep. <laughs> he had a funeral and everything for her. That's awesome. I was like, so it was brilliant and it was just like, oh, dude, that's, oh. Um, they've used this quite well because this was a point of contention with a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. How are all of these characters gone? 
Okay, yeah, and unfortunately, the fifty percent of the world end up being most of Peter's class. Mm-hmm. But that's just movies. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> um, but what I did enjoy was that they did explain, like, one of the the younger kids from before, Brad Davis. He is now in their class, and he's suddenly grown up into this. He was quite nerdy, and now he's quite pretty. Uh, and he's kind of hitting on MJ because he's the cool kid with the muscles. Yeah, I think I have it described here in our notes as the new older kid, Brad Davis, who didn't yeah. blip. He just went to the gym and got jacked while everybody was gone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I kind of like that explanation where it's like, Brad Davis, the nerdy kid, that's him? What? <laughs> I love that everybody's just looking at him going, what the hell did he do for the last five years? Well, yeah. the gym is what he did. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but then you also see how it's given into a bit more of a serious situation because Peter's getting a bit of PTSD mm. from this blip. Um, so they, they, they're using it... They're using it both for comedic effect, for dramatic effect, but also as a setting. Yeah. It's this is this is now a Marvel wide situation, so any film set on Earth will at least address some what had happened in the previous films. Yeah, and I, I definitely, obviously, I understand this is the first film that's dealing with it. There is a new phase of movies to come out, and I think the the choice of the Russo brothers in Endgame to create this five year gap is going to affect everything that comes in the future effectively so this is the first one to deal with it and the movie only came out a month ago so uh, or two months ago so um it's very quick to get to this point to have them deal with the the big incidents so it's probably a good idea to just deal with it in this first couple of minutes of the movie and then move on and make your movie basically so getting them out of the u.s first off is probably a really good idea so that they can just focus on that story and don't have to go into too many explanations of what's going on yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I really liked this. Um, it was fun. It was snappy. It was to the point. Betty and Jason did a great job hosting it. I loved the the marching band uh, who dusted and then reappear in the middle of, a, I think, another <laughs> basketball, uh, basketball game. game. Yeah. So all, all of this was just really, uh, yeah, they, they dealt with it and moved on. And I think, yeah, to, to have lingered on it would have been, uh, okay, it, it wouldn't have felt right i don't think and to be honest i think you know school news or newsletter whatever radio whatever is slightly irreverent so i love the whitney houston aspect of this i love that they um you know it was a little irreverent uh what they did so uh yeah i liked it Mm-hmm. I must say I'm also quite glad there wasn't that huge warning up ahead of the movie going, if you haven't seen Endgame, this is going to spoil everything about it. Because <laughs> they do. That opening minute of this movie has all five characters who are dead immediately. So yeah. you know, I'm kind of glad that they didn't have to say, you know, watch Endgame first or anything like that. Because everybody has. It's, you know, a couple of billion dollars it's made. So everybody's already seen it. Uh, the one thing I did want to say here, the um, the PTSD moment from uh, from Peter when he's kind of freaking out at everybody calling him the new Iron Man uh, where he's kind of reacting to everything he's gone through uh, with losing Tony Stark. That really does remind me of Iron Man 3. Um, I'll probably talk about it a few more times, but it's kind of first indication that we're actually on Iron Man 5 starring Peter Parker. Um, that's what I think kind of happened with the Iron Man series. If you see the progression through the movies, you got to Iron Man 3. There was no more solo Iron Man films, but I think Homecoming and Now Far From Home do feel like they're part of that Iron Man universe, for want of a better word, I suppose. We'll probably see a bit more, more as we go into our destinations as we go through our top five, then. Um, <laughs> disagree to disagree. 
I think they very clearly mark this. Okay, you could say that, yes, you could say that this is Iron Man 5, mm-hmm. but anything going forward, no, like Homecoming wasn't Iron Man 4. They're setting this as we don't want you to be, think of this as Iron Man. I think, for, I think I think there won't be an Iron Man 6, I'll put it that way. But this is definitely Iron Man okay. 5. And Homecoming was definitely Iron Man 4 because we had Tony Stark creating the person to take over from him as he got older. So <laughs> that's Iron Man 4. But as I said, we will talk about it as we go through our, our destinations. Yes. Okay, but I just want to bring out one very quick uh, point before we, we board the plane for our first destination. Um, Happy Hogan and Aunt May flirting off so much. Mm-hmm. That was really this was funny. <laughs> um, I, I really found this quite funny as I, to, to, you see Peter come off to say, first of all, no matter how quippy he is in battle, when you put him on the stage for that speech, oh, yeah. uh, it was just hilarious. And then we see Aunt May giving him notes going, I thought you were really good. I thought you were, Well, I do have a few notes. Yeah. You felt a bit stiff out there. <laughs> um, yeah. And we see happy breeze in yeah he's definitely not a uh, not a replacement for tony stark in that sense he's not not great in front of the old cameras is our peter no not at all <laughs> no but i did find it funny definitely but i love how he starts to suspect that relationship between happy and uh, and that may as they start to kind of make you know googly eyes at each other and then start repeating certain phrases to peter that, that they could only possibly have heard from each other and <laughs> do like that they that they get into that uh, but yes let's let's board the plane chris for our first destination uh, off to venice with the uh, with the science school trip um and the water elemental this must have been so much fun to come up with for the creators of this movie what what destinations are we going to be going to the use of the elementals is a really good way to kind of go right okay we need to have somewhere full of water right let's go to venice because then Everywhere is filled with canals, and then we can have this idea of this massive elemental coming out of the, all the water, and it'll be right in the middle of the city as well. I got a cool idea. Yeah, the canal there is brilliant and so useful. Um, and as you said, yeah, what you get with that destination or that city is there's water everywhere. You get iconic. Peter can't really go very high. Most of the buildings are two to three stories max, mm-hmm. maybe the odd four, but that's about it. And um, so you, you're lowering him closer to the ground, yeah. so he's not going to be high-flying, swinging kind of yeah. Spider-Man. I, I think what was good as well was not only lowering him down, but you also had him having to, because he didn't have his suit to hand. Mm-hmm. So I, I love the fact that he put one of the Venetian masks on um, <laughs> as well, which yeah. was really, really funny, mm-hmm. um, where he's kind of got that sort of elaborate mask and he's he's trying to help mysterio but he doesn't quite know who he is yeah um, and you've got this sort of venetian mask on i thought that was really funny yeah it's a little bit of peter taking the back so he's kind of watching mysterio actually do all the work which is exactly what mysterio wanted as we find out later in the movie but he does try and save that church or he's trying to not let it fall on people is kind of what he's doing he saves a few people around the place so he does seem like sidekick material here to uh, to mysterio i think yeah. What did you guys think of the elementals? I mean, because it wasn't until the story progressed mm. and they be, you know, and how it transpired that I was like, ah, okay, that's really good. Because otherwise I was just kind of thinking, oh, elementals, earth, wind, wind and fire, fire um, <laughs> and, and so on. Water. So And water as well, obviously. So I was kind of like, okay, this is kind of interesting, but um, 
I mean, if they were actual bad guys, um, they would have been terrible. They would have been really terrible bad guys. Sort of a bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they just appear and destroy things. Is basically it. So we've never really had a villain in the Marvel universe like that, have we? That just appears and destroys things. It's not. There's usually a point to them. Yeah, it reminded me of uh, Sandman actually from Spider-Man Three. Yeah, um, that kind of thing. And I, I think actually, ultimately, they ended up being really good. Um, how they were interwoven with uh, Mysterio. Mm-hmm. But I'm, but I'm glad they were, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think they, you're right. I, I was a bit lackluster yeah. um, on the Elementals, um, being that they're modelled after Molten Man, Hydro Man. So the one good thing I will say about this whole film is there has completely been every element of misdirection, mm-hmm. even from the writers yeah. and the promotional Alright, so everyone's like, oh, it's the Elementals, and the Elementals are real characters in the comic books, mm-hmm. um, being who they are, but they also look then like Hydro Man and Molten Man. There's discussions of a bit more kind of multiverse breaking in on this. Yeah. Um, and so, and everyone's like, oh my god, that's how they're going to do this, or this, or this. And it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all lies. So, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They've been and the MCU's lying to us yeah. in this this film. I think that works really well considering you've got a villain like Mysterio in here and that is effectively his villainous superpower is to lie to people and to make up what he wants them to see. That's kind of his manipulative ability. So, by doing that in the marketing for this movie, it just makes total sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just find it so much fun. Yeah, me me too. Taking it actually even a step back further, we're actually introduced um, at the very opening of this film to Maria Hill and one and only Nick Fury mm-hmm. in the middle of Mexico talking about a uh, twister because Maria is going so we're policing the weather now. Yeah. Um, and within <laughs> seconds, Nick Fury's like, no, 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 apparently there's a face in the wind. Mm-hmm. But we're then introduced to um, Mysterio for the very first time. Mm-hmm. He lands... It's quite a ethereal kind of superhero landing shot where he rumbles. And that's a strange thing. That was marketed to us as probably one of the big action sequences. And within that's within your first seconds of the film. Yeah. But taking it back, taking it forward, I should say, we're already back straight into Venice and we see Peter helping uh, Mysterio as much as he can. And we get then... The, the they they all go back to the hotel and you get this fantastic scene where Ned <laughs> and um, Peter, after discussing with everyone in the cafe downstairs in the reception of the hotel, they're seeing Mysterio, which is mysterious man in Italian, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, and then we oh, oh we get the flash scene. Where he's just like, I don't know, I don't trust this guy. Spider Man's amazing. Uh-huh. It's still that whole flash. Kind of piece right now. He's infatuated, loving Spider-Man, yeah. but uh, still hates Peter. One of the things I also love about Flash in this movie as well, I love this concept of someone as arrogant as Flash with his phone filming himself all around Europe, <laughs> tagging it all as hashtag Flash Mob, uh, who are all his followers on Instagram, I presume, or on InstaYap or some other MCU version of Instagram yeah. uh, where he's filming it all for all of his followers and the first time we see him doing it is in Venice you see him uh, holding his camera up and going what's up Flash Mob as he gets a, uh, a punch to the groin from one of his fellow classmates running by which is just hilarious so uh, I kind of like this because Flash in the first movie 
he's changed from the comic book origins and in, in the comic book he's much more of the bulked up um bully effectively kind of like brad davis actually he's quite similar to that in the comic books and in the first movie he's still that bully whereas in the second movie you still see yeah he's a bit bully like but he's a member of this team he's still a member of this science group and there's some people there that like him and some people that don't he just doesn't get on with peter it's kind of it um but he doesn't seem as bullyish in the second movie he doesn't seem as paper thin of a character in the second movie he was in the first no, I, I actually thought it was nice evolution of, of this character, to be honest, if if that's the right word. But I, I felt he fitted much better into into the movie than he did last time. I suppose, it, you know, Homecoming, it was just that sort of school bully antagonist to, to Peter. But here, I kind of... Maybe he has less to do, actually, in this. I don't know. But I, I kind of thought he fitted... Uh, better for me in, yeah. into the dynamic of the school group as you say definitely yeah but um i think what i really liked was uh, as well you have that great moment where ned is tranquilized by by nick fury <laughs> as well um as you know nick fury finally gets to speak face to face with peter who effectively has been ghosting him mm-hmm. since um uh, happy told him that he was trying to get hold of him and gets the the glasses Edith, which has a, a really kind of Tony Stark arrogant uh, acronym mm-hmm. in terms of even after death, I am the hero. <laughs> which I think is absolutely good. <laughs> I mean, you have to like the kahunas on him to think up that are, are something. Tony really likes his acronyms. He does. <laughs> But we, we get this really nice moment where we then finally get to see Mysterio face-to-face as well. Uh, Quentin Beck. I keep wanting to call him Quentin Blake in terms of the guy who uh, did all the drawings for Roald Dahl. Oh, yes, so yes. apologies if I do say that. But yeah, Quentin Beck is Mysterio. Mm-hmm. They're working with then Nick Fury and Maria Hill to sort of stop these elementals who... Um, as he describes at the time, have uh, he is from a different universe. There's this whole thing of the multiverse, as you were saying, Chris, um, and then because I think fire destroyed his planet Earth. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's a big story. Yeah, it's good. Um, probably talk about it a little bit uh, in our next point, really. Um, but isn't it kind of interesting that he's come up with this theory that we believe to be true from Ant-Man and the Wasp. We believe this idea of the multiverse theory and from Endgame as well. We had a big conversation about the multiverse. That's their version of time travel effectively creates these new multiple universes. So so that's what we know is happening in the world, that there are multiple universes. But this is the kind of backstory he's created because people will believe anything now after the snaps happened. <laughs> yeah. And it's that misdirection as well. Yeah. Yeah. And a nice little call out is uh, he basically does say that this is the uh, the MCU is the 616 universe mm-hmm, designation mm-hmm. and then he uses the designation for 83 something um, which uh, is where he's from um, so just to give our, our listeners a bit of uh, feedback and tidbits on this the 616 is the actual prime universe in the comics it's the comic book universe Um the H3 something that he uses is the Spider-Man uh, UK basically universe Weird. where Spider-Man it was part of the Captain Britain Corps. Right. Very bizarre. Do you think they chose the Marvel UK designation for Mysterio because Tom Holland's British? 
Is that the reason? That <laughs> that or, or they because they end up in London, maybe. Yep, maybe. Exactly. But before we jump into our second destination and we kind of go off uh, for a quick trip to Prague, um, Derek, what did you think of the introduction of Nick Fury? This beautiful scene where he's constantly interrupted and he shoots Ned and just everything. Uh, I loved the introduction to him. Um, it's very strange this year. We've had Nick Fury appear three times this year. Um, Captain Marvel, a young Nick Fury acting quite differently to what we see uh, in all of the other movies he's appeared. He's mm-hmm. a much younger, much kind of funnier character, I suppose. A much yeah. more relaxed character than we've seen in most other movies. And then it's bookended the summer with him in the, the comedy movie of Marvel this year, effectively. Um, so he's doing some of the things that we wouldn't expect Nick Fury to do. Um, hiring a child, basically, to work for S.H.I.E.L.D. now seems like a bit of an odd choice, you know? Yes, I know he's gone to outer space, I get that, but uh, he's still a minor, he's still in high school, so hiring him to work for S.H.I.E.L.D. seems like an odd thing for Nick Fury to do. So I enjoyed seeing him on screen, and I'm really glad with the post credit scene. I better have to say it that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that explains a lot of it for exactly. me as well. <laughs> I think I, I, for the whole, a lot of the film, I was, this is a very weird thing. Like, why is Nick Fury in the hotel room and, like, he would just put a... Like, that's not Nick Fury. A lot of other things happen throughout the film. Mm. And you're like, that doesn't seem like Nick... And then it's explained. Yes. And I'm like, all right. That's that's a good explanation of the slight differences. Yeah. I'm very happy to see Nick Fury in, in the movie. I'm Hill. Definitely cool, cool to see the both of them back. But uh, I kind of like the little get-out clause that they use in the post-credit scene. That's, that's quite a smart thing to yeah. do. <laughs> but let's get on to our other destination, because it is because of Nick Fury that we go on to our next destination. Uh, Peter effectively turns him down, joining uh, up with this team and joining up with Quentin Blake. He kind of says, no, I just want to go on my holiday. They let him go. But that's not good enough for Nick. Nick just diverts the whole trip off to Prague. <laughs> I, you know, I really like this concept. You know, they, they went off on their holidays, told all their families they're going off to Europe. They're going off to Venice to go and visit the Leonardo da Vinci Museum because uh, they're a science club and the parents sign off on it and give them all their money and they go off. They get there and find out that the Leonardo da Vinci Museum is closed until September. So first part of their trip completely ruined. There's nothing for the science team to actually do there. And then they get sent off to Prague and go to the opera. Like the science team is (laughs) going to want to go to the opera. Like Why are we going there? (laughs) Well, they gave us an upgrade and free tickets uh, and off they go and get in the bus. But still, it was like the opera. Really? Are you serious? Mm -hmm. Given that you have what the, the light festival or the lantern festival taking place in Prague. Um, Oh, I must say I didn't see any superheroes when I was in Prague uh, for the last two weeks. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I must say for them to have uh, filmed on Charles Bridge the way they had done, um, they must have had riot police keeping people back because, I mean, it was so, so busy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that or they were doing it at some crazy times of the, the day. But this this was really nice. I, I, I like this just because you have... Um, Peter and Mysterio kind of connecting up to get sort of what I think Mysterio calls was the most uh, powerful elemental with fire. This was the one that ultimately destroyed, I think, his planet. Mm -hmm. um, If it gets a certain size, 
Uh, and I, I liked how this kind of um, played out where, you know, a group of them escape from the opera because it's just like yawn fest <laughs> and they want to get out of there. Um, but ultimately, they're in jeopardy. You've got uh, Ned and Betty up on the Ferris wheel, mm-hmm. was MJ down on the ground. So th- this was really nice. Again, a great fight sequence. Um, you know, we had one in Venice and now again in Prague. Um, and I thought this was really cool, uh, I have to say, uh, just how they sort of dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Um, although, at the end, when they go for a drink, I was like, just because uh, Peter Parker had the mask off, I was like, okay, what's going on here? It seemed a little weird that they would be out drinking. Um, and effectively, Peter Parker is showing his um, uh, his identity. Yeah. Okay, he might be, what is it, uh, Night Monkey now instead of (laughs) Spider-Man. But I was just like, that's really strange. And then obviously we see that it's not real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's definitely some moments here where you're going, hang on a second, Peter's being very open about who he is. Especially because, as you say, they're talking about this idea that he's still trying to hide his... um, identity from people like NJ, you know, he's trying to hide it, but there he is sitting in a bar with uh, with the mask off. I did notice in the background, though, there are some people that are dressed up like revelers for this festival. So maybe you could kind of explain that even if he was there in the Spider-Man costume with the mask off, people would just assume he's dressed up yeah. for this event. That's true. Do you know? What did we think of the fairground fire elemental attack? Uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because Shazam only came out this year and it's pretty much the exact same battle that ended Yes. The movie Shazam, which I thought was really weird. Like the staging of it is almost exactly the same, except they stay there. Um, and then you're kind of going, well, actually, when we get this reveal from Mysterio about who he is and what they're and what this whole team are doing, you kind of go, well, maybe he did take his inspiration from movies that he's seen in other universes. <laughs> maybe the Marvel Cinematic Universe actually has DC movies in it. Maybe that's the comic books that you get in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> yeah, he, he, and he saw Shazam the- and went... Uh, actually, I'm going to just steal that idea. And have yeah, it's from the Amalgam or something. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> something like that. Um, what did you think, Chris? I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, they, from the explanation later on, you started, interesting, I'm starting to figure out slight things. But we do get the, the first knock of the something flying down, mm-hmm. which MJ picks up. Uh, and it's from that point you start questioning stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it was, it was clearly... St- nothing hit something uh, and then it flew off yes it appeared out of the middle of the sky didn't it this thing this piece of yes. metal and i was of course you're watching this movie and it's gone past at a good clip it's got a you know it's going at good a good tempo and you just see this piece of metal land in front of mj and you kind of go where did that come from did i miss something <laughs> yeah. you know i'm not too sure whether it was pointed out as clearly that this is something that you should have been paying attention to kind of thing, because it comes out of the middle of the air, basically. And then they do come back and explain it later on, of course. But um, I just had no idea what it was that she just picked up and why it was of significance. I thought it might be just a piece of something off the Ferris wheel or something like that. It really didn't hit me until she showed it later on and gave the explanation that I should have been paying any attention to the fact that she picked up this piece of tech. Yeah, I mean, I think all that whole thing with the projector, that did feel quite rushed, I, I or or something like I, I preferred the reveal in the bar mm-hmm. where it all peels back and that they've been using projectors and all that around the bar. Yeah, uh, and then you get kind of go into that moment where Quentin sort of rallies his troops, and you then you know you get this reveal that he was a worker for Stark Industries. So were many of the others. They created different 
aspects of Tony's empire with Stark Industries, but never got any of the credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the main, were were fired, which really, yeah, <laughs> Tony kind of. <laughs> It's get sounding worse, <laughs> at worse and worse. But um, it's just like you know, you have all this, and I, I like that um, for sure. I think the other important thing in the in the bar is that you know, after the celebratory drink, after seeing Mysterio in Venice, and now in um in in Prague because I think the important thing is is that there's this sense of him doing a do or die kind of mission where he he plunges himself into the heart of the fire elemental to destroy it, Mysterio. Mm-hmm. And this is then where Peter realizes that these glasses that he's gotten from Nick Fury, he should give over to Quentin Beck. That he is the guy um it needs to be the rallying call for superheroes on earth now because of that kind of selfless act that he did to destroy the fire elemental and to stop it from destroying the planet mm-hmm. because it, it's all bought into that that tale so yeah the reveal afterwards in the bar where you you see this i, I found really um really good whereas i think the thing with the projector breaking off and mj picking it up and then them being on charles bridge and just setting it off like that even though effectively it's broken i mean i I love how the fact that you know if half your camera fell off you wouldn't be able to take photographs with it again or you wouldn't be able to do a video but somehow this happens to i don't know show it shows air again on charles bridge it shows one of their previous kind of programs Uh, and that did feel rushed a little bit to me and that then it was straight into peter going after quentin mm. um to be honest like they didn't have that moment where they kind of fell out and or what that face-to-face moment you know kind of that that classic spider-man and doc ock moment where then peter tries to fa- face him face to face straight there in in prague it's right. not till berlin is it that we we really get to see them back together which is awesome Let's break that down a bit. Yes. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I, so starting back into the bar with Quentin. Um, Quentin created Barf, which I found, and his whole stick against Tony Stark is because Tony named it Barf. His VR technology as Barf. Yes. And that's why he was super annoyed. And then yes, one of the, the other saw lead... at the beginning of uh, Captain America Civil War. Um, nice Correct. little callback there. And I loved this reveal as we went around the rest of the bar and, and revealed three or four other members of this crew um, that they have all appeared in previous Marvel movies. You see one of the guys that was shouted at by Abadiah Stane back in Iron Man 1 is another member of this team, you know? These are all ill-treated people that were surrounding Tony Stark in the past. Just like in the first... Spider-Man Homecoming, the villain was created by Tony Stark setting up damage control to clean up all of his messes, and the villain lost his job and lost everything, so he started to go villainous, effectively. That's how the Vulture was created back in that movie. This time, we have these villains being created and Mysterio being created by being wronged by Tony Stark. And I have to say, Jake Gyllenhaal has one fabulous moment in here. I love that he says, I was fired by Tony Stark because he said I was unstable <laughs> in the most unstable of voices that you can possibly get. <laughs> that only Jake Gyllenhaal could do, actually. Yeah, 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 really, really good. So I'm guessing the next Spider-Man movie, the villains are going to be the custodial technicians who all got fired because Tony Stark created robots to clean the houses. That'd be the next <laughs> <laughs> That's how it happens. <laughs> I, I will say, I do like how they set up a lot of these 
characters because if we take, say, Far From Home mm-hmm. uh, and you take Homecoming. So Homecoming, uh, one of the interesting things you had, we had the Shocker um, and we had the Tinkerer in just cursory characters. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the in- the characters we're introduced to is Dimitri, um, which is a character working uh, with Nick Fury mm-hmm. and Maria Hill. And that Dimitri is none other than the comedian um, with a reveal later on that does make potentially some sense as why the chameleon would be the chameleon uh the chameleon's skill as a a character is the transformation of any to become anyone Mm -hmm. depending on which variation he's a shape changer or a master of disguise but anyway the the reason i think this is interesting is because then in far from home additionally the 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 bad guys outside of mysterio mysterio isn't one character now Mm -hmm. He isn't the, just the Quentin Beck. He's Mysterio uh, is multiple characters. He's been created by everybody, yeah, by the team. Yeah, so just because the ending happens like the ending, it doesn't mean this is the end of Mysterio now. Mysterio can live on uh, without Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, yeah, that's Because true. you can just have yep. uh, the fishbowl. Hmm. And we can see, like, so basically, we'll discuss it more as we discuss the very end of this film. Mysterio could be back for the next ep- film um, as a just someone battle who Peter battles because it can be any of the crew of Mysterio. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really interesting way because we've talked about before in any some of our MCU reviews how you need to keep some of these really good, interesting characters and um, f- you can't just kill them off and that's the end of mm. it you need to keep them for future films and that's kind of what they've done on this and homecoming we have the opportunity to get mysterio and vulture and the shocker and the scorpion together maybe yeah yeah i know there was talk in the past about having the sinister six as a movie in the sony world effectively they've talked about that quite a few times uh, because as we know the declining response to the Spider-Man movies before they teamed back up with Marvel um, was leading them to go, oh, we'll just cash in and we'll start making other movies uh, not particularly connected to Spider-Man because it's not making money for us anymore. That's kind of where we got Venom uh, from as well. Yeah. You know, uh, They're probably going to team those up first, probably. We're going to probably see Tom Holland and Tom Hardy on screen together uh. in the future, uh, which would be quite interesting, um, especially if they don't renew that contract with the MCU. I'm going to be so upset by that, but that's another conversation. Um, <laughs> stay positive, people. Stay happy. Yeah, this talk is only happy because uh, Spider-Man going back to the Sony universe is not a good thing. Um, but anyway, let's speak about... So, at the end of the big reveal and the, of all the Starks, and we now know that... Mysterio is a quote-unquote the bad guy mm-hmm. of the film, but actually, uh, Derek and I were talking about this offline before. Is he a bad person? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know uh, I'm getting some laughs from my fellow podcasters as I use the term offline. <laughs> Apparently, I'm still in work mode at the yep. moment. Um, but let's say outside of this podcast, yep. is he a bad person? Like, are they? Is this group of bad people? Because essentially, they just want to be the best superhero in the world and when you can't become that you create him it seems like they did it in order to sort of regain 
their position in terms of controlling this technology, maybe even making a quick book. It, it, it feels like something that maybe spiraled out of their control. And I think certainly at least for, uh, for Beck, I, I do think that, you know, he obviously has, um, some kind of feelings for, uh, Peter Parker, you know, he kind of respects him. You see that, to some extent, I felt, at least to begin with, but that descends and falls away quite quickly as soon as Peter steps up and really just confronts him. You know, it's that just stands in front of him and looks at him and says, well, what are you going to do? And then it kind of descends into where it's like, kill them, kill Fury, kill this person. So it feels like something that... Uh, really got away from them very quickly, I feel. Um, but then maybe that was always the point, that this was about revenge against Tony, in a sense. So, yeah, let's just quickly talk about the motivation, because that's where it's all kind of revealed here in these scenes uh, back in Prague, is the motivation is effectively there is now a massive vacuum in the world because Tony Stark is gone, and they don't want somebody who's currently a hero like Tony Stark was to take up that void. They want to be the ones to be in the new position of the new Iron Man. They don't want to have Spider-Man be the new Iron Man, then everything stays exactly the same as it was in the past. They want to have their respect and their position back, and that's why they've created Mysterio, to fill that vacuum and that void left behind by Iron Man. But yeah, because these guys have programmed exactly what happens in these battles with Mysterio, they've effectively made it a pretty safe environment, until, as you say, John, it starts to get worse and worse, really, as... Quentin Beck reveals how unstable he truly is and he decides to actually kill people as part of this program that everybody else has been creating for him. Um, So I think you're right, it does get worse and worse, but at the beginning it is just them trying to take over the void from Iron Man, which is an interesting concept. It's not as justifiable, I suppose, as potentially the Black Panther villain who had a good point um, to begin with and that's where he came from, but it is a good MCU villain again. We have another quite rounded idealistic villain that you can kind of see their point i think it feels quite sciencey in the sense that it's like not being included on the published journal article or something like that for the the new finding Mm. you know they've done but because they've done this in um i suppose a corporate sphere where their ideas are the property of stark industries Mm -hmm. then they just feel they feel aggrieved by that and so yeah they they want to the ultimate kind of revenge for them is that they take the place that tony once had because it wasn't so much about tony it was more i suppose that from their point of view they felt it was their tech that helped him get to where he was absolutely so that, that their tech will make them supplant him in his death exactly yeah yeah i i like them as a collective of villains mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Um, and I think I, I think it, it does leave us in a potentially interesting place at the end of this film. Yeah, absolutely. Because of who they are. But I do want to talk about one of the biggest reveals, uh, even bigger, perhaps, than this an evil genius reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter does go talk to MJ um, to tell her how he feels yep. about her. And we get the great... I just wanted to say, you're Spider-Man. What? Huh? No, I'm not. Like, we get this. She now knows that he is Spidey. Or at least she figured it out. 
I really do enjoy MJ in this film. I really like the, the banter that she has with them. And I love, as you say, Chris, she does figure it out, but not really. I love that she admits later on, she says that she had figured it all out. She knows exactly what's going on. And then she goes, well, I had it 62% figured out. <laughs> it's not exactly. Um, I didn't realize that you were definitely Spider-Man. I just wanted to push you to, for, for you to reveal it to me kind of thing. Um, it's really interesting that he's still protecting his identity until he can't protect it anymore and has to just protect MJ. And she's immediately on his side as well. A nice little creation of this character and the back in homecoming mj was a really background character just a sarcastic woman throwing in these bombs in, in the middle of, uh, of conversations with everybody else that were just hilarious this time she's a much better character uh, really did enjoy her i think at the end of the movie is the only time you heard her say her name was mj right um everybody kind of suspected it before the movie came out and from homecoming but this yes. time it is our mj this is the this universe's version of spider-man's one true love peter parker's one true love so uh, i loved they gave her more to do this time yeah and just the banter between her between when we see that peter tries to go when he goes off to get the black dahlia and she goes oh what's in the bag peter and we get this beautiful she finds her best um her the, the most thing she's most happy about in uh, uh basically even back in venice is Bo. It can mean anything. Mm-hmm. And the the banter then when he goes, so what's in the bag? And he goes, Bo, well played. We see this blossoming of romance mm-hmm. with these two characters. Um, but you're right. They, she was not a massively fleshed out character back in uh, Homecoming. And they've really worked on that. And that you can see, like I'm right with you, Zadaya as an actress who plays this character, plays that sarcastic slightly different awkward but not awkward um character really well um so getting her all the way up to this where like even him buying the black dahlia is because it was her favorite murder so i'm really happy about how they they kind of like they they've kept this character quirky she's not the supermodel-esque because that makes sense in this universe yes yeah, and she still can be the supermodel-esque at later films yeah. if they if they keep with this character in these films. But I think even even back in the comic books, back in back in the sixties, you know, it was still a trope of Peter Parker being the nerdy kid, and the person that he fancies most is the head of the the cheerleader team. That's basically yes. what MJ was at the time, and then she left school and became a model. You know, like we've seen her character evolve so much more over the years. Even recently in the in the Spider-Man game for the PS4, she's a reporter. You know, she has much more. A driven character than we would have seen in the past you know um so i like that what they have mj you know in the first movie she constantly talks about the fact that she has no friends at all and that's why she falls into this group of the science team because they are all working with her they are all friends because they have a common interest in something and that's why they've all met through this way and um, there's an interesting interview with Zendaya about these characters saying the reason they're so close now is because all of them were snapped and because they all came back at the same time to the school and all had to start over the school year together, they're much closer than they would have been in the first film or much closer than they would have been if the second film was its sequel happening directly after it and they didn't have this gap of the five years. So um, that makes a lot of sense when you think about all these people going away together on this trip, you know, Um, quite cool. But speaking of the trip and speaking of MJ, she's the one that drives them to go to the next city. She reveals to to Spidey the, the... piece of tech as you as you mentioned john and he goes off to find nick fury in berlin uh, so he takes another little detour says he's going to visit some fam- family over in uh, over in berlin um and takes a trip to see 
Nick Fury and tell him everything that's going on. He immediately gives that information. Chris, you were wondering why he does why he does that, and, and I guess really it's because Spider Man wants to take a back seat, right? He doesn't want to be the one that's fighting alone against Quentin Beck. He's made this massive mistake of giving Edith to Quentin, and he wants to kind of apologize like he did with Tony in the past. He wants to go to Nick and kind of go to him and say, right, you t- you need to take care of this because I obviously shouldn't be trusted with all this responsibility. Yeah, and uh, like it's a nice way of kind of leading us into our Destination 3, as you said, and seeing the 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 understanding dawn on Peter as of that he's given Edith potentially the biggest weapon in the world mm-hmm. that he's in, or access to um, to uh, a bad guy mm-hmm. someone who's lied to him um, and you can see the hurt there and what we do him trying to get to Fury at Interpol is really funny like basically we see that beautiful scene where Ned comes in uh, Peter's in state of undress, kind of getting into his spider monkey, getting into his night monkey outfit. Mm-hmm. And Ned's like, oh, I see you were uh, getting dressed for the carnival. And is like, no, he knows. Oh, well, I knew first. So oh, we see that rivalry between MJ and Ned, which is already forming, which is for quite quite fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but Peter gets on the bullet train um, from... Uh, Prague to Berlin mm-hmm. um, and he gets to Berlin he meets with Fury and we get this beautiful like 15 minute scene um, from the warehouse to uh, the end where he does end up in the Netherlands which is his mind trip um, it really is just back at the Mysterio comic book character like just it came straight out of the pages of a comic book. This. I don't think I'd be exaggerating uh, or, too much to say this might be your favorite thing that's ever appeared in a Mar- in a Marvel movie or a Spider Man movie at least, John. This is very Ditko. This is very um, yeah. This was really cool. This to me um, was that kind of meeting of Ditko between uh, Doctor Strange and Spider Man. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, I I, I really liked it. Um, I thought it was really reminiscent of the the 15 minutes of the Doctor Strange psychedelic thing, but this is trying to be that. You kind of see the triangles with eyes in coming out of Mysterio's hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's trying to be that, but it's ultimately done with like literally CGI uh, in real time. And so what Spider-Man thinks is a mind trip is actually just him being tricked with regards to the reality around him. So that ultimately, uh, it, it, all this amazingness is is, is playing out in the real world, yeah. but it's just covered by what the the te- the techies have decided Peter needs to see. But it means that they have to move him in that direction, and it's ultimately so that he walks out onto a. Um, on a, onto a railway line and I don't know the 1246 to Hamburg basically just splats the spider on the on the nose of the ICE <laughs> and so like it, it's really good because yeah you you think okay so is Fury really alive like there's a few moments where they they take you out of the really kind of wacky stuff and you mm-hmm. think oh okay we're back in reality but it's not so yeah I thought this was like this was the best 
thing for me in in the movie like as as a sequence yeah um i thought it was better than the 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 big fights and they were great as well so uh it was really cool yeah there's definitely a bit that i i couldn't get in my head at all because obviously spidey's gone to talk to nick fury in berlin he tells him all about it then beck interrupts that meeting and turns it into this big fight battle but there's a moment when nick fury shoots beck in the back right and that Yes. kind of kills him and then it turns out that that's also a figment of the imagination <laughs> i'm trying to work out why i'm trying to work out why they had that scene at all <laughs> why did nick shoot him in the back if nick fury doesn't exist it was to confirm who else he told mm. so basically he's like peter who else knows about yeah. this yeah uh, as nick fury and then peter tells them and it's confirmed yeah, yeah. um that makes sense yeah and thanks. i think this yeah, no, and I think so. For me, this is this is Mysterio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was what I was hoping. That, this was something out of like the Spider Verse. I was hoping right. we would get, um, and it is that, as you said, it's that Ditko esque Doctor Strange trippiness that we got in the MCU Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. but extended. And I was wondering if they do it through hallucinations or kind of psychotropic drugs like injected into peter's skin or something Mm -hmm. but this is so much better because it's not just in his mind as you said the ice train to the netherlands smacks him out of the world um out of the the holographic projections but just seeing all those differences seeing him in his original costume um all of it is just amazing um and it really just brings out that a lot of what the character does is pure manipulation Mm -hmm. and why so it reminds me of the Kevin Smith run Kevin Smith did the Mysterio character really really well he did him in Daredevil with uh, Um, the Karen Page big story wasn't it that was the massive massive story for Mysterio definitely don't want to spoil that one but that is certainly one I'd recommend if you want to know more about Mysterio go out and uh, seek out Kevin Smith's uh, collected book for Daredevil that has uh, Mysterio yes. and Karen Page in it. That's uh, definitely one of the most interesting Mysterio stories. He was never the most well-loved of Spidey's villains. Uh, always a kind of a, no. a bit player for years. I think until that book, actually. Yeah. But let's just kind of fly things on because we do get this fantastic introduction to the Dutch mm-hmm. football fans in the jail. And uh, Peter is... Thoroughly confused once he finds out he is in um, the Netherlands in a quite a strange place. Yeah, yeah. Peter in prison with no mask on once again because the uh, police have taken the mask off and are, uh, the police officer is actually wearing it while on the phone to his family, <laughs> which I think is quite funny. Um, but again, no real care for this guy spoiling his secret identity in this movie at all. Right? <laughs> this is one of the things that seems to be a tradition for the Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man movies is that he's not really able to keep his identity at all. Everybody knows his, knows his identity pretty quick. Um, and also, I have to say, um, very accurate depiction of the Dutch here, right? They are the friendliest people uh, in the world. <laughs> that was so good, yeah. I mean, I think of all the Europeans, the Dutch, you know, they have a good sense of humour. So it, it was nice that they chose the Dutch to have that kind of interaction with with uh, Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. But just coming back to what you said before, is it just not the fact that, yes, okay, Spider-Man is known outside of New York, but he is ultimately your friendly neighborhood, yeah. so they wouldn't know him from Adam, mm. you know, uh, in, in that sense. So I suppose having his 
his uh, mask off is fine. Right, right. In Europe, maybe. Be yeah. a different matter in, in New York. Maybe, yeah. I, I just don't know because they don't really go into the end game moment, really, I suppose. They don't yeah. really go into the idea of how many people in the world know all of these superheroes that came back and fought to save the world. So you don't know how popular these heroes that returned are in the world. He is a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, but he has been in space, as, as Nick Fury points out. No, um, but only known by them. I, I think that the main thing that you see across Europe are murals to Iron Man and mm-hmm. Tony Stark. I think there's one in, in Venice or something. Yeah. So, it, you know, even Captain America is not up there. It is because it's Tony Stark is that focal point mm-hmm. um, in a sense. And yet they know he's been to space, but unless they've sat down and told the story. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. And of course, Tony Stark is the only person that said, I am Iron Man on television. Yeah, uh, exactly. Broadcast around the world. So none of the rest of the heroes are probably very well known. Uh, yeah. For me, it is what we get at the end of this film. Spider-Man's identity will become a focal point for the third and final um, of the trilogy. Um, and I very much see that being the main Mm storyline so all of you're very much right this he is a bit too carefree with his identity a lot of the Mm -hmm. time um like he reveals it to quentin back pretty quickly yeah Yeah. um so they're building on what peter needs to learn as he becomes a a better spider-man yeah it's interesting isn't it and they've also kind of created an uh, invincible Spider-Man in this movie, would you say? <laughs> he got hit by an I- an ICE train, and all it ended up doing was bringing him to the Netherlands. Like, that does that not make Spider-Man invincible? <laughs> Pretty much. No, but Spider-Man nice. is Spider-Man is actually like in the comic books is pretty strong, pretty invulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like he has rapid healing. So again, that scene where he back in Homecoming, where he lifts the building off his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, in the comic books, that's a bit more of a building. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he takes a lot of punishment. But he does take his punishment, but then he also calls Happy when he's in need. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get the scene where he calls Happy and Happy comes to get him. And we get the first, the fantastic bit, which is, how do I know this is, uh, how do I know you're real? Tell me something only Happy would know. When we were in Berlin... <laughs> You ordered a film and you didn't think it would come up and it was to say adult entertainment. <laughs> and it's like, okay, 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 that's enough, that's enough. Um, that was, again, just happy bringing this comedic element into um, into the, the film. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the biggest scenes for me. This was the, the bit where Happy starts telling Peter about, or I should say Peter starts talking to Happy about who, who he failed. He's failed... Tony, he's failed. He he can't live up to be the next Iron Man. He can't live up to be the next Tony Stark. And we get this fantastic scene where Happy is explaining that Tony couldn't even live up to be Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Um, he was still always fighting with himself, doubting himself. Um, and you get this. You don't need to be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. You don't need to be the next Iron Man. You just need to be Spider-Man. Yeah. Like figure out what that means to you um and that is quite a it's obviously the the turning point in peter's arc in this story um where he starts believing himself again um and we guess 
the I, okay, I, I I know where you're coming from with the Iron Man five. Like I do get yeah. that. Like I do see it. It's just for me. I, I, it hurts to call it an Iron Man film when it's a Spider Man film. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but it is. But that's affected what they did. Marvel did a deal with Sony to bring Spider-Man into the MCU. They haven't told you the backstory of who Peter Parker is. We still, even now, we're only getting slight references to the fact that there was a history of Spider-Man before he ever met Tony Stark. But from the moment he did meet Tony Stark, his story began. And now Tony Stark's gone. And this movie is about the effect that that's having on Peter Parker. But you're absolutely right. This scene with Happy is probably one of my favorites in the movie. Because I love how Happy breaks it down. I love that he's not annoyed at Peter at all when Peter tells breaks down in front of him and says, I've done the worst thing possible. Happy effectively just saying, look, you screwed up. Doesn't matter. Everybody screws up. And breaks it right down to, look, you've lost a bit of tech and the bad guy's out there. What are you going to do about it? That's it. Because that's all that's happened. Nothing bad beyond that has happened. It's a really nice kind of scene with Happy. Yeah, and we get then the fantastic version of creating the Iron Man suit. Um, which slightly different music, mm-hmm. um, um, but we do go. He goes, oh, I need a suit, and you see Happy touch the the thing, and we get this beautiful, like very Tony esque um, area of for, for his lab, and he goes, Happy goes, you look after the suit, I'll look after the music, mm-hmm. and rather than Iron Man um, by ACDC, we get some Led Zeppelin. I think it is. Oh, Chris, you can tell you're a, you're a young man. <laughs> Yes. Who is it? We get ACDC, which Peter compliments by saying, I love Led Zeppelin. Ah, there you go. See, that's, I'm just I'm channeling my inner Peter. That is it. Yes. It's um, really cool, isn't it? I want one of these 3D printers in my house. Um, these things are, seem to be absolutely incredible. <laughs> this yeah. is not how 3D printers work, people. <laughs> but that's how no. they work in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Anyway, um, they will make you a brand new Spidey suit uh, with just a touch of a few keys on a keyboard. Uh, very impressive. <laughs> yeah. But he does add to uh, upgrade mm-hmm. his suit, if you yes, will. Yes, he does. Um, and I, I do have to say, I love the red and black suit. It's very cool, isn't it? And this, it's a very, I think it's obviously slightly Miles Morales-esque, um, but then it's a more superior Spider-Man-esque. Um, so it's just, a, I, I really prefer this upgraded mm-hmm. suit, um, just from a look and feel. Yes. And if you haven't jumped into the Spider-Man PS4 game uh, in the last week, uh, this suit and the undercover suit that he uses in Berlin are both in that uh, in the new game now. So uh, go download them and play along with them. It's very cool. I will be doing that th- this weekend. Mm-hmm. Just one thing before we jump on from the Netherlands. Uh, they did a great job of creating these wonderful Dutch people, these wonderful friendly people. I love the uh, the guy that gives Peter his phone uh, to make the phone call and kind of goes, no, no, you keep it, it's fine. <laughs> it's just super friendly. And then, unfortunately, the field full of tulips with the uh, with the windmill behind it, this picturesque postcard of the Netherlands, and then they have the Stark Industries plane landing on top of the field full of tulips. If I was that farmer, I would go absolutely mental. Uh, can you go and move your your ship down the down the road to the empty field, not the one with tulips in it, please? That's my living that you're messing with, man. <laughs> to be fair, I think that farmer would probably be the one Dutch person who wasn't that happy. At happy, uh, but. Th- it's fun. It, again, it's a stylized view of the MCU. Everyone is always like the New Yorkers in Spider-Man: Homecoming are not your average New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I've spent a month in New York. New Yorkers are pretty different. Hey, I'm working here. Hey, I'm walking here. Um, that's my New York impression. 
Um, if any of our fellow defenders or anyone who's listening to TV podcast industries, uh, if you are a New Yorker, please agree or disagree with me. Uh, I'd be interesting to and hear. Please don't unsubscribe from the podcast. We won't be doing any more impressions no. of New Yorkers, I promise. <laughs> but while that 3D printer is working in the in the plane, off we go to London. Uh, so Happy flies the plane over to London for this final battle, and our final major destination, Destination 4, final battle over London Bridge. Or is that Tower Bridge London? <laughs> I love that little gag in there because... You know, that is one of those things when you have tourists looking for a great looking bridge in London, they assume it's London Bridge, but actually Tower Bridge is the nicer of the two, right? Well, yeah, yes. I think the original London Bridge is in, is it Arizona mm. or something? That's right, they sold it off, didn't they? They sold it off. <laughs> uh, and the, the story behind that is fantastic, which is the millionaire uh, who bought it and shipped it thought he was getting Tower Bridge uh, and in fact bought London Bridge which is just a piece of concrete and a couple of bricks. Um, but yeah, it's always fun. Nice. And talking about tourists uh, not really knowing where they're going, um, the rest of the field trip, that uh, the science trip, all arrive in London for pretty much no reason at all, <laughs> other than to show that there is a land bridge or a bridge between London and Europe, uh, which is what the Eurostar is running on. But finally, someone questions it, Brad Davis. Uh, who we haven't really talked about much throughout the film. Um, we had those that moment where he's quite suspicious of Peter, uh, where he sees him taking off his pants with a, with an older lady and takes a photograph of it. <laughs> um, but we we see him getting a little bit suspicious of Peter here and suspicious of the trip and trying to work out what the hell is going on. As I said, all these kids left their family, you know, a couple of weeks ago, effectively, to go on this trip with their teachers, telling their parents they were going off to Venice and to Paris. And now they've been to Venice and Prague and London. That's quite a significant change to their itinerary. And he seems to suspect there's something wrong. But I love that we have MJ and Ned working together to convince them that he's wrong, that he's gotten the wrong impression here because <laughs> they know what actually is going on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, it, it, th- this is a, like a great sort of showdown, ultimately, this this final battle. And it, it plays out with... Uh, MJ and Ned really having to um, sort of get involved, but also kind of hide. And at the same time, you've had Brad sort of, well, as well, he, he's feeling crushed, I suppose. Um, he hasn't managed to, to, to bag MJ like he thought he was going to uh, on the, on the trip. And, you know, there is that nice moment of tension all the way through this between Brad uh, Peter and MJ, uh, and you know the two of them kind of fighting over it, and you have that moment where uh, Brad is is taking that picture of, of Peter with his kex down with the older lady. You have Peter accidentally doing the kill protocol on, on Brad as well, uh, and deleting uh, the photo from his uh, from his phone. Mm-hmm. And this all kind of comes to a head uh, here in in, in London, uh, but also I think. As well, you get it all coming to a head between Peter then and Mysterio with this huge kind of final uh, showdown of, I think it's all the elementals, isn't it, Uh, playing out around Tower Bridge. Yes, it's one massive elemental, which is a mix of that supergroup, Earth, Wind and Fire and Water. (laughs) (laughs) That was a terrible pun. Uh, You've been waiting so long, you've been waiting since the beginning of this podcast just to make that happen. I know, and I couldn't think of a band with the name Water in it. It would have worked much better if I had a band with the name Water in it. Oh, well, Aqua, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Clearwater Water Revival? Creedence Clearwater Revival? Mm, Similar. (laughs) Without the fire, wind, or earth? (laughs) Maybe. 
yeah, so I like this huge, um, I like this huge, uh, showdown. Um, and you ultimately have the breakdown. I like that, um, you know, through Edith, Mysterio's got all the control of these, these, uh, bots to, to do this huge final canvas of, of, of CGI, uh, in the middle of London. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously there's real danger though in this one because part of it is that they will take out Nick Fury, um, Maria Hill. They're going to take out Spider-Man as well as then uh, MJ and, and Ned as well, who know everything that's going on. So uh, I think this ultimately play, uh, plays out really nicely. I, I like Peter sort of being in amongst all the bots, sort of hopping between them, uh, webbing them together so cool. and, and bringing them down. And, and then just how it plays out up on the kind of walkway at the top of tower bridge between him and Mysterio where again, it, it, it's like in Berlin, you what's real, what's not. So you, you think that um, Mysterio is dead, but then luckily Peter starts to use his tingle again um, to really understand what, the difference between real and unreal here. Um, and you have Mysterio standing behind him, ready to, to kill him. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, the character of Quentin Beck here does die, I presume, even though, as you were saying, yeah. Chris, you know, another Quentin Beck or Mysterio can rise again through this group mm-hmm. uh, and still be a villain, which I really hope, um, if they can think of something really good to do i really hope that they do because i I think they used him so well in in this movie yeah um and i i like the fact that you know we all know that he is a master of deception but there was so much deception played out around this movie so um it's uh it it was really cool but i i like that on that walkway ultimately where um him and mysterio face off i thought that was really pretty cool yeah, yeah, without a doubt. It's great to see the Spider-Sense being used in this movie. I remember back to um, Avengers Infinity War where you saw the trailer and that was the first time we'd ever seen Spider-Man with Spider-Sense as he realized the Black Order were arriving on Earth and you saw the hairs stand up on his hands. That's the first instance we had of Spider-Sense. And I remember everybody talking about it like this this universe has got Spider-Sense in it, you know, and now they've made this quite essential part of it. If he didn't have Spider-Sense, if he wasn't Spider-Man, he wouldn't have been able to win this battle with Mysteria. Like, it would be a real shame if we never got Jake Gyllenhaal back in that mask in, in the world, because I think he is such a great addition to this movie. But you're absolutely right. They could Anybody else could put on that mask and be Mysterio in the future. Yeah. For me, the, the, this total end battle was fantastic. Um, I like how they explain that the drones are the ones causing all of the destruction. So when they have these um, illusions... The destruction is the the flamethrower from the drone. So, so when Quentin Beck does get his or Mysterio, the team Mysterio get access to Edith, they get all these drones, so they can make it huge. Mm-hmm. And that scene of seeing Spider Man outside of the Quinjet or Happy's personal Quinjet, mm-hmm. um, and he goes, "We need to talk about my aunt and you," <laughs> and he just falls back. We get the spider parachute. You get Spider-Man with this web wings, mm-hmm. which are literally almost back from the original 60s yep. um, and still are used today. Um, you get a very Spider-Man-esque um, ending where you see the full battle of him using all of his abilities. You see him run out of webbing. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, he, you see him have to try and think about how he's going to get to the top of Tower Bridge um, to get and fight Beck. Um, and that, that that's Peter Tingle, Spidey Sense ending is really good because we see actually even at the very beginning of the film that it's on the fritz quote unquote because uh Ame throws the banana at mm-hmm. him and it hits him squarely in the head yeah and she goes i thought you had the peter tingle um so this shows his again progression that he's now understanding what the spidey sense is understanding how to attune it and use mm-hmm. it um, and that scene where he's then jumping through each of the the drones to get to Beck, um, and then Beck does kill himself. Um, obviously, is quite upsetting because he said, like, on one hand, he's a dead MCU villain, which was really interesting, which we, I'd like to see again. But on the other hand, yes, he he from the grave makes a lot of noise mm-hmm. at the end of this film. Um, which we'll talk about in a second, but also uh, he can be anyone. As you both said, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal really does embody this character. He's really, really well, Um, and it's a shame to lose him. He can come back, though. He can be an illusion, because at the very end, we see... One of, we see one of the guys, the writer or uh, the gentleman from Iron Man 1, um, we see him put a USB drive and we we now know what yeah. it is but he escapes mm-hmm. um, so you have to assume everyone else does too yeah I think it's because Quentin Beck is such the major face of all of these and nobody else has been seen he's been hiding all of these people and pretty much all the time underneath what's going on yeah. they've been hiding in the background and hiding in the corners effectively so um, so nobody's looking for them effectively they're they're the background team and nobody really knows how Beck did what he did. So that's quite interesting. Effectively, the villain is 12 people and one of them has been taken. That's it. One of them has been taken out. Yeah. So, yeah, it is really interesting. Like there is this whole team, you know, 10 or 11 people that are still out there. It's just that Beck killed himself by trying to shoot Spidey who moved out of the way when one of the drones was shooting effectively. So um, so it's quite cool that we have that idea. But it is a real shame to lose uh, Jake Gyllenhaal from these movies. I'll be honest. Getting him for Spider-Man is a huge get. I think he's one of the best actors that are that's out there. Pretty much everything he's done in the last 10 years has been so eminently watchable with him in it. So getting him for this movie and setting him up the way they were with him being a hero, I was going, they didn't get Jake Gyllenhaal signed up to an eight-movie contract like everybody else who gets to play a hero, did they? There's no way. <laughs> so he has to be a villain. He has to die by the end of the movie. That kind of has to be the case when you get someone of this stature into this uh, into this franchise. So, um so yeah, I know I don't think we're going to get him back in the future, but there may be flashbacks, or there may be a moment in the future. But I like the idea that it could be Mysterio with just a different face, effectively. So yeah, yes, all layers. Uh, of and Mysterio is anyone mm-hmm. with the bubble, the bubble head. Mm-hmm. So they they use the bubble head costume design and the mist inside, so it can be anyone. Exactly. But that brings us to the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, we we basically get the reintroduction of. Um, the MJ Peter Love we do get the unhappy news that Betty and Ned um, are no longer together <laughs> true love burns fast 
I think it's absolutely brilliant. I love this moment when they get off the plane and they're in they're in there. You know, we finally have MJ and Peter finally together after all of this time. And then they go, do you want to go out and double date sometime? And, and Betty and Ned kind of laugh to themselves going, oh, that's all over now. Don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> and Ned suddenly seems to be this really grown-up character who's uh, complimenting how wonderful she is and saying, actually, there was no way our, our love could last as long as that. So, yeah. <laughs> really nice that. Um, but then... The, the the even funnier scene for me was seeing Peter sit down and mm-hmm. basically have Aunt May and happy about their relationship and it's just differing of opinion. It's like, okay, we're dating and she's we're not dating and you just get he's like, Okay, I'm gonna leave now. <laughs> um, I like Peter yeah, Peter trying to be the adult in the room uh, and yeah. then realizing I really don't want to get involved in this really complicated relationship <laughs> discussion that's going on. I've just found my first girlfriend or my second girlfriend, sorry. Um, in this movie, I can't really deal with this conversation between you weird adults yes. <laughs> as he walks away. Yeah, It's all about the love in New York. Oh, it, it is. is. Yeah. Because that brings <laughs> us to the, the iconic scenes. We see Spider-Man swinging through New York, like taking selfies, texting while he swings, um, mm-hmm. which is brilliant and it reminds me it's very reminiscent of the recent PS4 Spider-Man um, yes yeah. uh, and I, I, I thought it was fantastic but then we get the iconic MJ Spider-Man swing together but it yeah. doesn't go the same way that no, was cool I like that yeah. I like the fact that she was freaking out and because I think that's it most of the time you just hear the scream and then it's like it's all fine and dandy like really soon afterwards this is it was like he picks her up he takes her for a swing she's like saying put me down put me down put me down and at the end of it she's like no nah, i don't want to do that again that's pretty horrendous um that's- for non-spider people yeah you know so uh, i thought that was pretty cool yeah it is this moment we've we've seen it right back to richard Donner's superman the idea that the super person wants to show the non-superhero person what it's like to be them effectively and yeah. let them into their lives kind of thing you know it is really important to mention here as we get into these post-credit scenes these moments are really important we have spider-man back being spider-man and being happy about it effectively so after giving up on being Spider-Man at the beginning of the movie, remember, he didn't take his spider suit with him on his trip. He was trying to leave all that whole life behind. But now he's realized who he is. He's realized that he wants to be Spider-Man. And that's him swinging around the city and letting MJ into his life effectively as well. Um, there, That's really cool moments. It's really good to see him back being happy Spider-Man. We are now in post-credit one effectively this scene with him swinging around the city uh, with MJ is the post-credit scene. I thought it was going on a little bit for a post-credit scene, it seemed quite long. Sorry, not that it was too long or anything like that. It's a great moment, but then it stops and then everything changes because we have J.K. Simmons returning as the greatest <laughs> yeah. J. Jonah Jameson once again uh, on the big screen right in the center of New York City to reveal that Quentin Beck actually had one final plan for whoever took him out, which turns out to be Peter. He releases the information as to who Spider-Man is. Peter Parker is Spider-Man that's released to everybody. And he also doctors the footage or the footage had been doctored by one of the other members of his team to show that peter was the one that called the attack and actually the hero of london was quentin beck with peter parker taking the credit that's quite a massive moment really isn't it yeah it's really good actually um it, it really fits into this whole idea of you know i mean the the this idea of the manipulation of the 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 news feed um and i thought that was really good and again it kind of lends itself to what you were saying chris that 
you know, one of the members, 12 members of that team has stepped up to kind of enact or, or send this footage, doctor it or do whatever they've done. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they are Mysterio in a sense. Um, yeah. it, it's all a little bit of, you know, the collective communist kind of uh, approach. So I, I like that. Yeah. Seeing dailybugle.net um, was amazing. So they've made the Daily Bugle paper um, an actual uh, almost like Infowars-esque, which is fantastic to see. It's very reminiscent of the PS4 Spider-Man game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Jay, Jay Simmons as J. John Jameson. He, he is just the epitome of that character ever since his initial reveal in Tobey Maguire's Sam Raimi's Spider-Man mm-hmm. 1. Um, he embodies who that character was. Uh, he, he, he more should say he brought it to life. Um, yeah. but seeing this is just what they've done here is just fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. like outing, it's the inverse of Iron Man 1, if you will. Mm-hmm. Tony yeah, yeah. brought his name out to the world. Uh, and now with this, it's no Mysterio's done it. And now Peter straight away becomes the bad guy. His identity's out there. Um, mm-hmm. Spider-Man is the bad guy. And no matter what happens at the end of the third one, you'll always have JJ going after Spider-Man. Exactly. I love that this is how we're introduced to this universe's version of J. Jonah Jameson is because he's been told that Spider-Man's a bad guy. That's why he's suddenly revealed in this universe. It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. This is just such a massive reveal to happen in this first post credit scene, effectively, because remember... The last movie that we went to see in the cinema, Avengers Endgame, had no post credit scenes at all. Um, they have introduced some since in the final run, effectively. They put in a couple of post credit scenes. But the last time we went to the movies to see Avengers, no post credits. This time, a post credit that's really important because mm. it sets up the future again, you know? Um, I know that so many of the filmmakers must be so annoyed about this five-year time jump that was introduced in Avengers, which has ruined all of the sequel plans that were laid out. Things like Doctor Strange, which had the sequel plan laid out with Baron Mordo going around the world destroying magic. Well, now they have to deal with whether Mordo is snapped and is now going on his rampage around the world when they do Doctor Strange 2. You know, All of these other movies have to deal with this five-year time jump. So it's nice having some post-credit scenes that actually now will lead into things again because... Avengers is off the table now for a while. We don't have to worry about that big juggernaut coming in and destroying our universe. We can now plan our our sequel movies again, which is quite cool. No, definitely. I think uh, it, it's a great kind of cliffhanger to end on, for sure. And mm-hmm. I mean, you because obviously with the MCU deal and that having kind of finished now, um, you just hope that either Sony just takes it off on that route anyway, mm-hmm. or that there is some kind of involvement back uh, again as well. But certainly this was this was great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it makes a lot of sense as well because, as we said earlier on, as we discussed the movie, really, Peter's identity is now out there with his best friend, his girlfriend, and his aunt. They all know who he is, so that means the reason why he always keeps it secret, and most superheroes do, is because of the threats that are going to be in there for their family and friends. And now we know all of these people know his secret identity, so that's exactly the way they're probably going to go if they bring this into the next movie, but quite cool. Uh, the other post-credit, obviously my favourite one of the two, <laughs> because it's revealed that the reason why Nick Fury was acting weirdly is because it's not Nick Fury at all. It's actually Talos and his wife, Saren, or his partner, Saren, uh, from Captain Marvel. Uh, the two scrolls are back on Earth and pretending to be Maria Hill and Nick Fury, <laughs> which is just hilarious. I really enjoyed that moment. Um, we see Nick Fury is also on vacation. He actually took the break that... 
Peter Parker wanted to take at the beginning of this movie. It seems like he's off in Tahiti, as uh, most Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans will recognize. The uh, the program that he's using is him sitting, uh, looking out over the ocean, which is almost exactly how season four of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ended, with um, Agent Coulson sitting, looking out over the ocean in Tahiti. In Tahiti. So, uh, yeah, a nice nice little touches there. Everyone loves Tahiti. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I love this, this reveal, um, specifically because it was... Um, it explained it was just funny to even see the eye patch on the other mm-hmm. side um, when they're driving in the car and she's like I told you to fix that oh okay no, I don't know that at all <laughs> yeah that's how that's how the, the, the end credit happens the eye patch is on the wrong side so we even see the um, as some of the marketing materials mm-hmm. uh, Samuel Jackson was getting annoyed and which now leads into it which is the eye patch was on two different mm-hmm. eyes um, in uh, some of the marketing materials. Right, well. Uh, so it's a big, long mm-hmm. con, but it, it pays off very well. <laughs> um, I like this, I really like this one because it does show the real fury. It looks like he's, potentially, this is leading us to S.W.O.R.D. Um, S.W.O.R.D. is the kind of space shield, um, which has an orbiting satellite around the Earth. This could be that. This is the space station, the satellite station, where all of the scrolls went to at the end of captain marvel right this is where they were relocated to um so he's visiting with the scrolls uh, effectively oh really that's that's cool okay i i took it as more being that that space station was around earth etc um so okay they may be going somewhere slightly different than what we mm. originally thought or what i yeah. thought the biggest question is where's everything going mm-hmm. now it's really interesting as well because there is a moment where effectively talos as nick fury says to Peter Parker, I was at the funeral of Tony Stark and saw you there, but didn't think it would be the right time to approach you. Well, was it Talos or was it Fury? Which is always mm-hmm. going to be the question now. Where, is, where does Fury end and Talos begin? You know, when, when was the last time we saw Nick Fury? Was it back in Civil War? And then Talos has been there ever since, you know? Uh, quite interesting. Yeah, and it just, we don't need the life model decoys anymore. So Nick Fury obviously is synonymous with life model mm-hmm. decoys. They've been in the TV show. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, but he doesn't need that now. He has scrolls. Yeah, I don't know whether you roll them out to impersonate you. I'm not sure whether that's the way it goes. But that's it for all of our post-credits and all of our destinations for this episode. Any other notes we haven't talked about, Chris, or can we get on to our defense? I'd say let's get directly on to our defense. Excellent. So kicking that off then, Mr. John Harrison, do you defend Spider-Man Far From Home? Yes, I absolutely do defend uh spider-man far from home i give it four peter tingles out of five um certainly it tingled my fancy um for sure i think uh i was wondering what they were going to do um because i think homecoming was a a real bit of fresh air for me from the spider-man franchise i was thinking please just kind of keep it like that and and they really did. They made it feel fresh. They made it feel funny. Um, I loved Mysterio uh, as the villain here. I think Jake Gyllenhaal brought so much to it. Um, I loved uh, just how it tied into Endgame. That you know it dealt with it, but just briefly, a little irreverently. Um, I, I loved how they moved through on their European trip. You had the MJ and, and Peter thing with with Brad. Um, I felt that, uh, you know, the whole thing with Nick Fury and, and the, the final post credit, but also then just the, that huge, you know, 
the reveal of Peter Parker as Spider-Man. Um, it's just a great cliffhanger to, to finish on. It, it, it's really good. Um, and it did. It, this was just jam-packed with action, comedy, and some tension. And I, I thought this was a great movie. It made me come out of the movie smiling, uh, just having really, really enjoyed it. You know, like we go and see these movies generally after work and... I must say, I was absolutely wrecked going into the, the cinema, and I was like, going, oh, don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep. Yeah. You know, it's been massively hot over here. Um, okay, the cinema's air-conned, but it's just like, oh, no, I'm going to fall asleep. I'm going to And it just absolutely grabbed me. It forced you to kind of engage with it because it was so funny. It was just a roller coaster of a ride. So for me, I absolutely defend uh, this movie. Chris, do you defend Spider-Man Far From Home? 100%. Uh, this is really up there for me now in my top top mm-hmm. three. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse, Homecoming, and Far From Home are really my top three Spider-Man films. Mm-hmm. Um, they embody what I love about this character. Um, uh, there's some changes on the formula which i'm actually enjoying uh, it's when you have a character through from the 60s shaking things up a bit is always a good thing but uh, i'll always love raimi's spider-man i'll always love uh, andrew garfield mm-hmm. um and toby Maguire. i love those their portrayals but they were portrayals in a time and a perfect for a particular time um, yes, even Spider-Man 3 was a good film-esque. Mm. Yes, we know everyone thinks about the dance scene, but let's forget about that. You can listen to our podcast about Spider-Man 3 if you want to hear our actual thoughts on how terrible that film was. <laughs> exactly. But moving back to Far From Home, um, it's it does exactly what it, we hoped it will. It ties off the, the, the end of Endgame. Mm-hmm. It, it does set up where we are potentially going next. It deals with the the fallout of endgame um but it deals with it in a way that it's spider-man he's a friendly neighborhood spider-man that's all he wants he just wants to be back in queens he just wants to be back in new york he uh but as fury goes you've been to space um like you are no longer that spider-man i'm so glad that was talus and not nick fury said that line (laughs) yeah it just was an awful line wasn't it But it's just interesting to see. Like the whole film has a unique take on Mysterio, it has a unique take on um, Happy and Aunt May and everything. So uh, particularly the MJ. Like I, I, I could sit here for another hour and just wax lyrical about why I enjoyed mm-hmm. it, and we already have done that for quite a while already. Mm-hmm. So I'll just say yes, I defend this film. Um, it was good, and you need to see it. And as I said to Derek before we started recording. I can't wait to see this in the comfort of my own home in 4K, <laughs> just sitting there, uh, just uh, in a air-conditioned home versus an air-conditioned theatre. Um, so yes, I do defend Spider-Man Far From Home. But on that, Derek, do you defend Spider-Man Far From Home? I'm probably not as up on it as you guys um, of all of the films. Of all, I'm probably not as up, up on it as you guys seem to be, but um, you guys know my feelings about comedy movies. This is probably the funniest of the Marvel movies that we've seen since uh, Homecoming, probably. Um, it's def- definitely better than Ragnarok and the two Ant-Man films, to be honest. Uh, I'm glad that we don't have an Avengers coming in the future um, because this formula of Marvel doing a really serious movie followed by a 
kind of funny movie. It just doesn't work for me, so I'm glad we're not going to have to do that next summer. <laughs> we may get another comedy movie from Marvel next summer, but uh, that all that hasn't been announced yet, so I'm glad they're going to get to change up the format a bit. Um, I realize that most of the reason for my dislike of comedy movies, particularly in the Marvel Universe, is because it has an extra job to do. Most of the other movies, all they have to do is have story, characters, and fight scenes. But this also has to have comedy that lands, and the comedy in this sometimes just doesn't land. I particularly noticed that with The Teacher, who we hardly talked about at all except for one moment. Um, I mean, Martin Starr, Mr. Harrington, I think is the, is the character's yeah. name. Uh, he's the same character in Homecoming, but he only has three scenes that made it into the film. And if you look at the deleted scenes, there's about another 15 of him riffing and making jokes and making gags. It felt like the editor in this movie put a lot more of his riffing and his kind of gags in the movie. And a lot of those just fell flat for me. I don't like people that don't read a script. I don't like people that improvise in movies. They just don't work for me a lot of the time. Um, there's a lot of, of comedians that think this is the best way to make films now, is to just go on set and talk until you find something funny. Uh, it just doesn't work for me. And, and sticking it in the middle of a movie that's quite well scripted and has great characters and good drama and great action scenes makes those scenes drag for me a lot. So, um, so yeah, it's it's a good movie. It's definitely in the top 15 Marvel movies, but probably not in my top 10. But I definitely defend it. Interesting. Very interesting. But there you go, fellow defenders and uh, TV podcast industry listeners. We are here at the end. But let's hear about what you thought. So don't forget, you can go over to facebook.com slash groups slash defenders TV podcast or head over to facebook.com slash TV podcast industries and you can leave us your feedback on any of our posts that we ask about. So we have a bit of feedback here now and first up is Yeah, our first bit of feedback is over from Facebook. Ted Willard goes, I love almost all of the MCU movies and those that I don't love I at least like a lot, but only three of them had me leaving the theatre with a big dumb smile on my face and just feeling good about the world. Guardians of the Galaxy was the first MCU film to make me feel that way, but both Spider-Man movies have given me that happy feeling as well. Spider-Man is my favourite hero, and these movies have really captured what is so special about Peter Parker, the person, and Spider-Man, the hero. I can't wait to see Far From Home again. Thanks, Ted, for that. I completely agree. Um, For me, I came out feeling really happy and positive coming out of this uh, movie. I thought it really was kind of a really nice pace um, that did a lot and had a whole range of different things that felt so, so good. So, yeah, completely uh, get where you're coming from there. Next up, we had Matteo Patmore, who said, I absolutely loved this movie, probably more than the first. The entire time I was thinking, why couldn't have this come out when I was 12? <laughs> I was watching it with my mates who I used to make comics with after school when I was about 12. Spider-Man was the first comic I'd bought myself. I have a tattoo and I was a fan of what Andrew Garfield did with him. But these movies, they're everything I could have wanted a Spider-Man movie to be when I was a kid. I mean, I enjoyed the Raimi ones, but Toby was never, ever my Peter Parker Spider-Man. Those end credit stings, though, the first one messed me up. I wonder if they're going dead to the identity crisis. That'd be so cool. Overall, the film was brilliant, and I loved the homage to the comics. Mysterio was awesome. I love how they chose to portray him. Find it kind of weird that Flash is from a well-to-do family, but I suppose they have to give him a sense of entitlement from somewhere. And if people don't think Brad Davis is the real villain of the film, they're wrong. 
Sorry I'm all over the place, but this film makes me feel like a kid again. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mateo. And yeah, completely with you on that. Um, we're all over the place. You saw, you saw my defence. You just listened to it, I should say. I love Brad um, Davis so being the villain of the film. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> He's the one that finds out about Peter. He's the one that takes a photograph of him with another girl so he can spoil MJ and his relationship. It's really, really, really funny. It's interesting that Flash being from a well-to-do family, you wonder whether that's kind of the Northern Norman Osborne of this universe. Will we see Flash start to turn against his family they've dropped a few hints here that his life is not very happy at all his parents don't seem to care about him um he's not picked up from the airport when they arrive back you know is there something that they're building there with flash thompson as a character in the comics flash thompson becomes venom i think uh, at one point so he does have a villainous streak in him uh, as he gets older in life so uh, we may see something like that are they building something like that in the in the spider-man universe thanks so much for that Matteo. yeah thank you so much Matteo. uh Alyssa Lynn Muska says uh Mysterio stole the movie for me. Jake Gyllenhaal did such a fantastic job with the role. One of my favourite scenes is where Peter is trapped in a loop of his illusions. Such fantastic CGI. I have frustration of the movie's insistence on making Iron Man a part of Peter's story. Both of these villains had connections to Tony, and that takes away from them being Spidey villains, in my opinion. Also, the fact that they essentially replaced Uncle Ben with Tony. Thanks, Alyssa. It is interesting that they have made this decision to ignore uncle ben i think at the time when uh, when we saw spider-man for the first time back in civil war um nobody wanted to hear the story of uncle ben again we've seen it so many times in the comic books over and over again over the years we've seen it in cartoons we've seen it in the movies and it always was the central storyline and i think it was a great choice of kevin feige to just cut it there and say right we can't have this motive- movie being motivated by the death of uncle ben it's been going on too long so the choice here to put tony stark front and center and make the movies about him and make the whole universe really about Tony Stark makes a lot of sense to me, to be honest. Uh, We've talked about it here. My idea, I suppose, is that this is just Iron Man 5, but with Spider-Man at the center of it. I think that's the way they're going to make sure that they can have this movie sitting alongside all the other movies in the MCU. Um, We will probably see Sony taking this back and making another movie not connected to the MCU in the future. So they most likely will return to Uncle Ben to do that. Um, but right now, I'm really still enjoying the fact that we haven't had him mentioned much in the universe. There is that little touch in the movie here, I think. It might have been mentioned before, but uh, that little touch in this movie where Peter takes out his suitcase again, and that and it does have uh, Benjamin J. Parker written on it, BJP uh, in initials. So he is still remembered in the universe, but not mentioned as being so central as he used to be. Yeah, thanks, Alyssa. I mean, I definitely agree with you on the... The, the scene where Peter's trapped in that loop of the illusions being done by Mysterio. I thought that was absolutely phenomenal. Um, so definitely with you there. I, I think I, I would agree with what Derek says about with Uncle Ben. I think I would class myself as one of those people where I just didn't want to see that sort of origin story again because of how many times. However, I think the one thing, you know, w- with him being tied to, to Tony the way he has been in order to, I suppose help with the integration into the MCU. It it is one of those things uh where, you know, you kind of forget about the the the, the Spidey sense or the Peter Tingle because he has been um sort of addicted to technology mm-hmm. uh, with that connection with Tony and I think I made that point in for homecoming even. Uh, and even when he was doing the tech stuff um on the printer in in the in the airplane it was one of those moments where i did just kind of go oh yeah you forget that peter 
is a really good scientist. Um, it, it and I just have to remind it, like they do take some of those characteristics that you've you've always known and you know they kind of bury them or just make them maybe less important and that's no bad thing but it's just that then he's suddenly doing all this thing with the tech and you're like going why is he doing that how is he able to do that and then you go oh yeah but he is actually a good scientist mm-hmm. um and that's he's almost like a child prodigy yeah uh with regards to that so you go okay well that makes sense like he's Absolutely. the one that invented his own web shooter yeah no like exactly in, in the first uh, but yeah uh thanks for that for sure yeah, uh, another bit of feedback came in through from Jim Carrey. Uh, he goes, slow start. Yeah, I got it. These teenagers are irresponsible and impulsive. Here is some antics to prove it. Lather, rinse, repeat. Well, yeah, certainly uh, it's it could be viewed as that. Uh, but then he goes on to say, masterpiece. When Mysterio is finally untethered, it's glorious, surreal, extended scenes. Merciless psychological pummeling, shift from illusion to illusion. Mysterio joins Doc Ock and Sandman in my book as perfectly rendered spideyversaries. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I think the the illusion upon illusion being stripped back and so on, as a number of the pieces of feedback have said, it was glorious to see for sure. Jim continues, um, I didn't think there was anything wrong with Spidey Sense other than those nicknames. Aren't these the relevant boundaries? Trusted person, subjective, no tingle, no actual danger equals no tingle. Uh, d- depending on where in the comics you're reading, it, it's not always that as a boundary. It's more, it allows him to know about incoming projectiles, which doesn't really make sense when even Anne May, who is a trusted person, throws it. Um, the banana, it still should have set up a tingle to give him those enhanced reflexes to allow him to know that something's flying towards his head. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's no, it's not 100%. Well, I think much like Jessica Jones, as we've talked about on those podcasts, if you've been listening to those ones, Peter hasn't used his spidey sense. He hasn't trusted in his spidey sense at all. So he hasn't practiced with it. And they're only creating the boundaries for the movie effectively now because he hasn't used them in the past. He's had an experience of having a gigantic planet arriving on Earth and he recognizes it a bit quicker than most other people because of the spidey sense. But this stuff here where he gets this tingle and he knows about it but doesn't really know how to use it until this final battle at the end of the movie, that's where, they're, that's where they've got it, I think. Yeah. Um, Jim continues, remember those promos showing Spidey razzing the New York City cops? Uh, we keep hearing he's a friendly neighborhood guy. I want to see that. In Civil War, Infinity War, and in Game, there were no high rises, boroughs, big city attitudes, adoring fans, thugs, newsstands, street clothes in web packages, and no J. Jonah Jameson. On a related note, the nano mask is convenient, but am I the only Martian? on the block who resents the long-term iron manning of spider-man i think they're really valid things i think Alyssa had a previous feedback and mentioned this as well and i think certainly you know there is an element of bringing him into that wider picture of the mcu that's happened so I think, unfortunately, the neighbourhood was slightly left behind or, or given uh, a shorter shrift. Certainly, we see it in Homecoming uh, a lot more. But I, I think, yeah, in, in, in terms of the Civil War, Infinity War and Endgame, it's just not going to be possible when most of that's kind of in space. Or it's not his turf, yeah, I exactly. suppose. And I suppose that's the main thing. Um, it's one of those difficult things, isn't it? When you see one of your characters brought to life and a movie made out of them, 
and you go, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll have to wait till the next movie to see yeah. him swinging around the city. And then you go, oh, I guess I have to wait till the next movie to see that. You know, I'm so glad that this movie did end with Spidey back in New York, swinging through the city, accepting that he's Spider-Man, because that's what everybody wants to see, a bit of him in his city, you know? I, again, highly recommend going out and getting Spider-Man the game for PS4, because you get all of that. That's what the entire game is about. It's him in New York, yeah. enjoying his time, battling villains. Well worth paying the money for yeah, absolutely. Uh, finally, um, Jim says, Mysterio presumed dead, Fury and Hill presumed human, Multiverse presumed to be a tall tale. Some of us thought Far From Home's uh, Mysterio would provide a mechanism to bring the Fantastic Four and X-Men to the MCU. I admit it's typical fanboy desperation stretch, and it's based on Beck using the term Earth-616, which made some in our auditorium erupt in cheers. I mean... It would be pretty low for him to use the canon terminology only to be completely fake. So is there a grain of truth? Could Beck have met someone from another Earth? I think it's absolutely possible because in a sense, that's what they were riffing on um, in, in terms of uh, the the tale from uh, Endgame and certainly with the, the ancient one uh, mm-hmm. providing that explanation around the timeline so I think it is I think they've just used it really nicely to kind of uh, do effectively a big Mysterio trick on, on the audience yeah. which is um, bells and whistles and, and everyone's been looking at the bells and whistles and in fact something else has been going on which is the tall tale as as you say but I don't think that precludes the multiverse from existing in, in future movies yeah absolutely and we know the multiverse exists We're, it's absolutely definite that the multiverse exists in Endgame that's confirmed they create a new universe every time they go back in time the big thing here was that Beck was saying that he travelled from one universe to another which only Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has revealed is possible. So uh, that's the only place that they've ever had somebody travel from one multiverse to another. And that may also change in the future. So um, so there is a possibility we will, we will see it in the future. But you're totally right. This is the makers of the movie trolling us as an audience with their trailers, making us go and see a movie that could lead to something that we think is possible. And then when you see the movie, you go, oh, OK, that wasn't what it was all about at all. This is somebody that has spent roughly nine years i think if my timeline's right seven to nine years creating this whole thing wasn't uh wasn't beck fired around the time of civil war so that's four years ago plus the five years after the snap so that's about nine years roughly he's spent creating yep. this plan so uh, so he probably has done some investigation into what earth this is that they live on because uh, that's been mentioned before in other movies about earth 616 uh, it has been mentioned before uh, thor dark world there that is the accepted name for it in this universe so he has probably done some kind of research to make the story as believable as possible to someone like fury remember so fury had to buy the story first before he shared the story with uh, peter parker so it's probably quite a watertight story but i love that how he explains it to his gang of people where he's like well you know once thanos came in and uh, snapped his fingers people will believe anything right you just put a a valid enough story together and people will believe it so uh, i'd like that too Yes, thank you for your feedback, Jim. Next up, we have uh, feedback from Salim Akisler. He went on to say, the first half of this movie dragged. I get why they did what they did with Mysterio, and he was great. Great character, great costume, great visual, great acting. But I was just sitting there waiting for him to turn and to find out the monsters were of his own creation. They never explained his powers or why Fury needed Spider-Man specifically. Spidey's power set didn't really seem to match what they thought they were fighting. I wish they would include a scene where Beck somehow convinced Fury that it had to be Spidey. 
I also didn't care much for the high school drama early on, but that obviously wasn't for a curmudgeon like me, other than the Ned and Betty scenes. That was hilarious. Mm-hmm. After the Mysterio reveal, the movie really took off. Even MJ was a better character in the second half of the movie. Her interactions with Peter from finding the hologram generator to, to their shy flirting was great. The way they set up those illusions with the drones and using EMPs to throw off Hill's readings was brilliant. Those scenes of Mysterio playing with Peter were fantastic, visually beautiful and absolutely terrifying in the story. I've heard some criticisms of not explaining that Spidey Sense malfunctioning, but I loved how that was used and Peter eventually figuring it out and using it to break down the illusions. A fair criticism of Homecoming was that we already have an Iron Man. This this character should be Spider-Man. I love the scene where Peter accidentally calls a drone strike on in his classmate and can't undo it with Iron Man powers, and he manages to solve it with Spidey mm. powers. I agree with the MCU's decision to skip the origin story. We know it, we've seen it, we get it. But pretending that Uncle Ben never existed is a bridge too far. Great power, great responsibility was an over theme of this movie. But like most things in this universe, it was all about Tony. Tony pissed off Ancient Tombs? Fine. Mysterio was a Stark employee? Fine. But Tony replacing Uncle Ben? Too far. Finally, the post credit scenes were amazing. Just when I was thinking, okay, cool, but this is missing J. John Jameson, boom, we get J.K. freaking Simmons. Awesome. One of the best castings of all times is now in the MCU. Then the Fury skull scene. Like most of you, I have questions. Most importantly, how long has this been going on? So look forward to finding out. Sorry that was so long, but looking forward to the podcast. Thank you so much, Salim. It was, thank you. Just the feedback was brilliant. Don't worry, it wasn't too long at all. And um, unfortunately, our avid producer had to fix a few mistakes and tongue-twisting pieces that I made while reading it out. Um, but no, I agree with some of your stuff. Um, specifically, I, I agree with just kind of where the Fury Scroll scene is going on and how, how long it's been going on. Um, I unfortunately don't agree with the Uncle Ben piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Iron Man has replaced Uncle Ben. Um, I think we'll, we'll get Uncle Ben at some point. But as everyone has said, we've seen it, we've heard it, we we know everything about it. So uh, they are still mentioning uh, Uncle Ben in unique ways. Mm-hmm. Hell, Uncle Ben may still be alive. Or Marvel Zombies. <laughs> That'd be great. Exactly. <laughs> um, like, they'll do, they could do anything. Um, they could do some very interesting things like yeah. this. Um, so let's see where they go. Let's. They haven't steered us wrong yet. I think in the MCU, um, there's been a few blips, if you will, but nothing, nothing too bad. Speaking of which, uh, Jim had another piece of feedback as well, just about the blip, just an asterisk. Um, this is as part of what I was talking about: the reaction from some people to how the snapping was treated in uh, in Far From Home. Uh, Jim Carrey says, I'm disappointed by this treatment and the name of the blip. However, Sony does Spider-Man and to the extent we see Peter's grief for Tony, the consequences of Endgame had gravitas here. The snap was the plague, the holocaust, the killing of the innocents, all the tsunamis and earthquakes and meteors, and a forced rewatch of Iron Fist Season 1 combined. I can't conceive how the emotional upheaval would affect both halves of society. We did caught glimpses. We saw Scott Lang seeing the unkempt properties, the harbour ships in dry dock, the whales now in the harbour, sports stadiums abandoned, dating brings not laughter but tears to both parties. We saw one minute glimpse of the age schism through Lang's eyes and brief treatment of the same with the brother and sister in Far From Home. My hope is that the Disney Plus series explores this. It lends itself so to long arcs anyway, not sort of side notes in one movie. I'm sure it will get some mention in MCU sequels. Um, I know what you mean, Jim. As I said, this is 
the first movie that's had to deal with it and it's only been out in the cinema for a month so they don't really know the reaction of the public which sometimes happens when you're trying to fit these big life-changing events into a movie that has to come out very quick afterwards you probably don't give it the gravitas so what they decided to do here was treat it like a spider-man thing make it into a comedy do a funny bit on it and then move on. So, uh, yeah, you're definitely going to be seeing this. I know the Russos had major discussions with Kevin Feige about the idea of having this huge jump of five years happening and all these people returning and what would happen from them. So I know it's going to force all of the rest of the movies coming out in the future to deal with it in some in some way, shape or form. So this is just the first time we're seeing it. But I think it would have been a lot of pressure to put on Spider-Man to have to be the one to deal with the fallout of a movie that happened a month ago. Um, it's not really their responsibility. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the only thing I do hope and pray is that every MCU movie after this has to deal with this endgame thing. Uh, Otherwise, it'll be like Uncle Ben being pulled out for the first 30 minutes of every Spider-Man movie. Mm. And it'll be a nightmare. It'll destroy it. So I really hope they don't do that. I mean, you know, you could you could conceivably see it in another Captain Marvel or even Doctor Strange because of the whole timey-wimey, spacey-wacey, realmy-wellmy kind of thing. But, um, you know, yeah, it, the, the treatment, I think, here was appropriate for Spider-Man. But I really pray and hope... Uh, that they're not going to have to do something to justify around Endgame at the start of any of the next slate of the MCU. It happened, get over it, we move on, and we see the stories as they continue five years after, I think is probably the best way that any writer can can deal with it. Yeah, Um, there's going to be changes. There's going to be things they're going to have to deal with because, you know, things like Cassie Lang now being, you know, an 18-year-old rather than a child does fundamentally change the the Ant-Man films, you know, so they're going to have to deal with that even though they've already seen her in Endgame. But it hopefully will all be pretty straightforward. Yeah, so I definitely agree with you there, Jim, about it just being side notes in a movie. Yeah, our final bit of feedback comes through from Mike Brown as well over on Facebook. Uh, I thought this movie was good, but not great. Then, the sequence with Mysterio's final video. That end scene instantly bumped this movie up several notches for me. JK frickin' Simmons, J frickin' Jonah frickin' Jameson. Only I didn't say frickin'. Uh, There was an audible buzz in the (laughs) theatre when he appeared. And I'm so glad they're going with the modern J. Jonah of being a podcaster online personality instead of a newspaper man that worked really well in the PS4 video game. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see how it goes into uh, the MCU. Uh, yeah, thanks, Mike, for that. You, um, you know, I managed to do your J.K. Frickin Simmons, J.K. See there, I didn't even do it first take there, but I managed to do it first take the first time I read it through. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, um, yeah, no, it was really good to see him, uh, see him back, and it, it is, it's that connection to the old movies, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's really good. And yeah, I think it's nice to sort of update um, Jay Jonah uh, to that kind of podcaster online news outlet rather yeah. than uh, you know being, I don't know, hardback bound copies of uh, a folio print of newspapers or something yeah it kind of brings it up yeah spruces it up a bit absolutely and yeah as i I was saying you know having these post-credit scenes matter that much to say the movie was okay but with the 
post credit scene, it was amazing. Like that's that's massive for Sony to have done this with a post credit scene changing the opinion that you had of the movie. That's really interesting. Um, I'm wondering whether you know. Obviously, this is the first Marvel movie that we don't have a uh, an appearance by Stan Lee. We don't have that cameo appearance. So I'm wondering if they brought in J.K. Simmons to give that cameo appearance for Spider-Man fans. You know. He is such a well-loved part of those movies with Tobey Maguire that nobody could see anybody else playing that role. So if you're going to have a moment where you're going to show J. Jonah Jameson on a big screen, bring in J.K. Simmons to do that cameo for you. I'm not sure where they're going to have that close connection in the future. I don't think we have any real moments where Peter Parker has shown any interest in taking photographs for a newspaper. So it doesn't feel like he is that character that's going to start working for a newspaper in the future and or working for this online uh, organization, the Daily Bugle.net. So I don't think we're going to see J. Jonah Jameson much in a future movie, but I love the idea of him bringing him in as a cameo here. Thank you so much, fellow Defenders, for all your feedback. And don't forget, you can send us any other feedback you have. Just go over to um, basically any of our social media platforms and leave us your thoughts there and we'll respond to them. Don't forget to subscribe to all of our podcast channels. Go over to tvpodcastindustries.com and you'll be able to get all of our coverage of all of our shows. Over on Defenders TV Podcast, we're continuing with our coverage of this season and the final season of Jessica Jones. But we'll also have lots more TV uh, on TV Podcast Industry where we're going to be rolling up very soon. Um Garth Ennis' The Boys, which is on Amazon's Prime, and Pennyworth from the creators of Gotham. Uh, both begin on 28th of July. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really looking forward to getting some podcasts out about The Boys and Pennyworth once we finish our coverage of Jessica Jones. They're both out on July 28th, so we may not have a podcast out on that day for both of those shows, but uh, hopefully we'll have them out very close to the day. Uh, thanks so much for joining us for this movie podcast. We're going back to TV very soon, so make sure you stay subscribed, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, as always, thanks so much, fellow Defenders, for joining us. Uh, Speak with you again soon. Bye. Yes, thank you very much, Webheads, and we'll speak to you soon. Oh, Marvel's going to be at San Diego Comic-Con, aren't they? Maybe we'll find out what our next Marvel movie's going to be then, because I have no idea. Oh, yeah, that's the only thing. We have ideas, but we don't know for sure. We have dates, but we don't know what's going in them. So, until then, true believers, we will see you over in the TV realm. Thank you so much, and bye-bye for now. Bye. But more importantly, let's also jump into... Uh, a, a bit of a where we were at the end of res- of uh, where we were. <laughs> was that the band that Marty Pella was in? Should we? Where, say? Where, where? Well, you, you nearly said Earth, Wind, and Fire. I know that was really close. Though. Then, <laughs> it was like EWF. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yes, but let's jump into where we were just at the end of Endgame. So now that Endgame is over, what was the resolution and how? Where we find Peter at the end, or I find the MCU world at the end of this. I think John's lost it. Oh my god, the heat's getting to him. Everything now I'm hearing is is like alliteration. <laughs> I can't even hear you. What's that one? Are you there? Hello? Talk. Hello? Oh, yeah, okay, Grant. No, one of the.
Sorry, <laughs> I have just been hearing alliteration coming out of your mouth for about the last five minutes <laughs> since I did the armoured blah 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 and then the, 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 oh. the, the earthwind fire. <laughs> right, okay, and breathe. Nick Fury's like, no, 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 apparently there's a face in the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming it's like a sandal in the wind, but uh, <laughs> better. Candle in the wind. It's candle in the wind. Or sandals in in the the bin. bin. Uh, It's the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sandals in the bin is for Mother Teresa. Yeah, exactly. Candle in the wind was for Diana. Diana, yeah. So sandals in the wind. Because there's a twister, get it? (laughs) I don't know. It hurts to call it an Iron Man film when it's a Spider-Man film. But, but uh, it is. Like, that's, that's how the MCU did it. it. They basically made a deal with Sony that said, we are going to put Spider-Man in the MCU. And the way they did that was to continue the story of Tony Stark through these Iron Man movies, effectively. Um, so, <laughs> you see, I did it there myself. <laughs> yeah, I see what you did there. Movie, I remember back to... Um, Avengers Infinity War where you saw the trailer and that was the first time we'd ever seen Spider-Man with Spider-Sense as he realised the Black Order were arriving on Earth and you saw his the hands <coughs> the hands stand up at his hairs <laughs> Where? So we could see Jake Gyllenhaal because I agree with you John he is an amazing character and he's an amazing actor in this and he really embodies the, the actor really well mm-hmm. um what? That is me. No, I said. Oh. I said, it was great. I hope we get to see him back. I did. <laughs> okay. Even with video. Who Even did? That was me. Don't worry, you got it right first time. Chris. Okay. Oh, liar. <laughs> Even with video, Chris can't tell the two of us apart. <laughs> As you both said, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal really does embody this character. He's really, really well. Um, and it's a shame to lose him. <laughs> 